0: All right. So as you can see from my cover slide here, uh, this this lesson is entitled "We Become Like What We Worship." Um, Beale, um, he actually has an entire book that he writes, um, in on this very subject, and so we're just going to get a, a snippet of his um, his insights here in this ch- in this chapter. We're in chapter two of his six chapter book entitled "Redemptive Reversals in the." Ironic overturning of human wisdom. In chapter one, we got to dive in a little bit about the irony of our salvation, the irony in the judgment that God gives upon mankind, basically, where um, we are judged in the way that our sins dictate. You know, the idea of eye for an eye, um, the reap what you sow. Understanding of, of judgment and how that plays itself through, and again the irony of salvation, the sinless uh, God man dying for sinful man. So we are going to be focusing this morning on this this ironic um, turn of events and the fact that how you become what like you worship. You know why is it that we that we as human beings tend to reflect the images around us. You know, what is it that, that causes that? Well, we know early in Scripture we find that reason out. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 specifically, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, after our likeness. And we're not becoming God, we're becoming like God when we are, obedient. Um, The world would have us think that we are independent, free spirits, not connected in any way to anything except for, I guess, everything, I suppose. You know, coming out of the primordial ooze in some way that there's no connection to God, let alone there is no God. That's simply not true, and we know this to be true. But, believer, unbeliever alike, we reflect, we tend to reflect the images around us. One is being conformed either to some earthly image or to God's image. There's really only two options there. Only two options. Romans 12, verse 2, it starts off by saying, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. There's a command here, two commands, to be not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewal of our minds. It's getting down to that creator-creature distinction there, whereas our flesh in the world would have us worship, idolize uh, the creature in some way, the creation in some way whereas we have been made to image our creator. Romans 1, when you read that chapter, it talks about long-term results of the embrace of a worldview that says God is all and all is God. This, when we went through, it's been quite a while now, a worldview lesson in Sunday school on um, the idea of oneism versus twoism. This oneism view, this it's pagan view, that seeks to denigrate God and bring Him down to our level, and at the same time bring mankind up to the level of God. And that's simply not true. God is the one true, transcendent, yet very personal God. It's that distinction again that's being played out here when we look at this idea of becoming like what we worship, what we're imaging. And what does it mean to be conformed to the world? What does that even mean? Um, Well, when we go through the Scripture in the New Testament, the idea of this is... Is found in the Old Testament concept of idol worship. Uh, Beale says, quote, whatever your heart clings to or relies on for ultimate security. The idol is whatever claims the loyalty that belongs to God alone. So when we're idolizing the, whatever it is, and again, we understand that we have many idols that our heart makes. We're looking to those idols for that ultimate security in some way. Um, It is a disloyalty to the one true God, a loyalty to something else. Well, there is irony in idolatry and becoming like what we worship. The text we're going to focus on this morning is in Isaiah chapter 6, so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. Um, Isaiah chapter 6, and we're going to be focusing really on verses 9 through 13, So let me read that real quick. Isaiah 6, verses 9 through 13. Actually, let me back up to verse 8, just as an introduction to this. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Verse 9. And he said, Go, and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive make the heart of this people dull and their and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed then i said how long o lord and he said until cities lay lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. That's our focus this morning on this text. You know, though we may not want to admit it, all of us, humans, mankind, we reflect what is around us so often. Even subtly, it's unconsciously, we're reflecting these images around us. In this passage, um, we see Israel reflected in their culture. They are reflected in their culture of what they've come to believe. And God warned them that this would happen. If they would go after those idols of the nations that they were coming in to displace. So in this passage, as you're looking at it, what does it say that Israel predominantly reflected? These and how did they reflect? What was what was the outcome of what they reflected? You know, they became like their idols. The Lord told them this over and over again. It says in, in the text here, you know, a heart that is dull. Does, a, does an idol have a heart that feels? No, we know that. Ears that are heavy blind and blind their eyes. Idols can't hear, they can't see. And, and Isaiah was commanded by the Lord to come in and, and preach something to that, that they wouldn't understand. It was a hard message for Isaiah to receive. But we got to ask ourselves if there's anything in our culture, culture today that we reflect. That's one of the main applications um, that we have in this chapter, in chapter two of this book that we're going through. You know, in this post postmodern culture that we live in, it's a very apathetic culture. You. Remember, we went through some studies on worldview, even with going through that book by Francis Schaefer and um, studying the the period of Enlightenment and and you know how mankind sinfully, humanistically searching, but discovering in the end, largely we read this in the 19th and 20th centuries uh, uh, of how that pursuit that humanistic pursuit of mankind failed miserably and the philosophers of the day became very apathetic there's nothing really left to do but to enjoy yourself sinfully was their their thinking it was a hopeless philosophy that they adopted when they realized mankind can't do anything can't change anything on their on our own, but as Christ, as Christians, um, you know, we have to deal with issues such like materialism. Still, it has left many in the church to become like Ezekiel's dry bones. It's stealing hearts, you know, making many people long for something that is not eternal. That's what materialism does. We're not thinking eternally when we're being materialistic. We are becoming idolaters in materialism when that's what our heart pursues. And so that's the challenge. That's the warning we have before us. And that's a big takeaway that we have in this chapter. So in this, this text that we have before us in Isaiah chapter 6, we can see what Israel should have reflected. If you look at the inverse of this, Israel should have been understanding. How many times had God sent them the prophets to explain to them how to apply his law and to live out these truths in a righteous way, looking to God alone? Many times, they were to be understanding, they were to be seeing, perceiving these truths. But they were becoming like these idols. You know, it's it's important that we get a wider perspective on the context in these verses, and so what we're going to do now is we're going to walk through uh, this this passage in Isaiah six a little bit more deeper. And so, one of the sections in this in this chapter is entitled "What you revere, you resemble, either for ruin or restoration." Um, and we're going to focus now on the verses 8 through 10, the first part of our passage. So let me just read that one more time. Verses 8 through 10. Or actually, I'm just going to do verses 9 and 10. And he said, Go on and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull. This is where it really gets tough for Isaiah in this command. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. This is judgment. This is judgment that we're talking about here. They're being judged. Israel's being judged for their unrepentant sins. What they have been doing is attempting to uh, synchronize the pagan rituals with the Jewish orthodoxy for materialistic and pragmatic purposes. They, even after returning from the exile, even after then, finding themselves mixing in the worship of these these pagan rituals, the, the trees and the queen of heaven as one of their idols. Doing these things alongside trying to worship God. And God wouldn't have them, would not have anything to do with that. Malachi talks about that. Uh, they had actually become, as we read in Scripture at times, worse than their pagan neighbor, neighbors. You know, woe to you. You know, Tyre and Sidon will be better off than you, Israel, in the end. They tried to synchronize these things. That's a warning to us. We cannot compromise in our faith. Beale notes, he says, whenever the prophets use what we call you know, sensory organ malfunction language, let me say that again, sensory organ malfunction language, You know, ears that aren't working, eyes that can't see. He says, whenever that happens, whenever people's organs are depicted as not functioning, he says, without exception, it refers not just to sinners in general, but to sinners who are idolaters. Because they're imaging what they worship. So in this passage here in Isaiah 6, they were said to have eyes that can't see and ears that can't hear. Because they were idol worshipers. So there's a principle here to grasp here, that if you worship idols, you will become like the idols. And the message is that likeness will ruin you. And it will ruin you in ways that you don't even realize. There's gonna be invisible chains of bondage about you. So often, when you're pursuing something other than Christ, do you even know it? Can you see it at times? It's not until Christ, God chastens you sometimes that you even yeah, you see it. It's a scary thing. Those invisible chains of bondage, they conform you to some aspect of this world. Beale says that, verse 9. And Isaiah 6 can be paraphrased as this. Isaiah, you go and tell this idolatrous people that they have been so unrepentant about their idol worship that I am going to make them as spiritually insensitive as the idols, as spiritually inanimate as the idols. You, like idols, Israel, you're going to become like an idol, and that is the judgment. That's the judgment. You know, People, what we're seeing here in this passage, are being punished by means of their own sin. Again, something that we really dived in deep the past couple weeks, being judged by our own sin. And this is what we're reading here in Isaiah. It's a paramount example of that. They're being given what they want from a certain perspective. And that's what happens. You start to become identified by your sin. Romans 1, such as some of you were, you know, these liars, thieves. This passage, verses 9 and 10, is an allusion. Bill notes to Deut- Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 4, which says, To the first generation of Israel, it says, But to this day the Lord has not, has not given you a heart to understand. Or eyes to see, or ears to hear. Remember how Moses ends his ministry just telling them, You're going to turn. You're going to turn. They were forewarned. So, We see in this first generation of of Israel, as well as the later generations of Israel, Isaiah's in particular his generation, they had become spiritually lifeless, like those idols that they worshipped. And that principle for them, as is it is for us, is what it is that you revere, you resemble, either for ruin or for restoration. Doesn't turn out good. Let's think about some application here on this principle. You know, Paul, the apostle, he already sees that idol worship goes far beyond even simply falling down at some statue. It's more than just that. You know, we don't we're not making necessarily you know graven images like we see often used as an example in Scripture. It goes beyond that. A couple passages I want to look at real quick. One in Ephesians chapter 5. You can turn there if you like. Ephesians 5, and it's, it's really focused on verses 1 through 14. I'm not going to read all of them. We're just going to skim that real quick. Ephesians 5. Ephesians, General Electric Power Company. General, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. All right, Ephesians 5, 1 through 14. Starts off, talks about imitators. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Um, It goes on to talk about uh, in this passage, let no one deceive you, in verse 6, with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience, Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness. You were Why were they darkness? Because they were living in darkness. They worshipped that which was in darkness. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light. In the Lord walk as children of the light. Or of light. This this principle of reflecting what you revere. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, in verse 11, but instead expose them. Don't take part of them and start to become conformed to it. Rather, expose it for the lies that they are. Lastly, verse 14, for anything that becomes visible is light. So... All right, now let's look at Colossians chapter 3 and verses 1 through 17. Now, this is Paul talking about putting off the old and putting on the new. We don't just put off the old, the old being ourselves before we came to Christ you don't just put that off and not put on Christ because if you remember what we learned on this passage is if old, all you're doing is putting off a sin of some sort and not putting on Christ instead you're going to put on something that's going to be around you something that is infecting you in some way some other sin perhaps if you're not putting on Christ so we put off the old and we put on the new it's, you don't have one side of the equation without the other. That's what Paul's talking about here. You know, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And we do this in verse 2, by set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. It's talking about being conformed to the things that are above, not the things in the world. These are principles that we see Paul talking about. Paul's talking about what and how this covetousness that we can become inflamed with and greed. These are really idols in our, in our hearts. And so, you know, we see Paul, you know, spiritualizing idolatry and the fact that we become that part of us that's compromising with the world spiritually, to the same degree that we're compromising, we're becoming unspiritual. And that's not, that can't be so for us as believers. Money. It was an idol in their days, in Isaiah's days, and it's an idol in our days. Again, an idol, an idol is any substitute for God. The Oxford English Dictionary defines religion as a thing that one is devoted to. What you're devoted to, obviously that can be God or something else. It can be anything that blinds you to the truth. You can become devoted to that, even things that are good. How about a false view of Christ? That is an idol. A false view of Christ is an idol. Any substitute for the true Christ is idol worship. John, he talks about that. He says in his first letter, Beware of the false teachers who are introducing false teaching about Christ. And basically he's saying if you are sucked in by them, you're going to become an idol worshiper. These false teachers. That's what they're trying to create. That's why it's so important that we know who our Lord is. You know, we've, the church has labored in this. Creeds like the Nicene Creed or uh, the symbol of Chalcedon breaking down for us who is Christ and his nature, his man and his God. The, the things of the world, they, they work into the hearts of all people. All people, believers, unbelievers, to varying degrees. And then idols are made because of this. It's why someday the world will be destroyed. And we're going to get a new heaven and a new earth. So Israel worshipped idols for the same reason we also learn, for the same reason that the Athenians worshipped idols. Beal. He talks about this. He says, the Athenians wanted to be sure, and this is the idea of syncretism. He said, the Athenians wanted to be sure that they did not leave out any god who could prosper them in case there was a god that, that they did not recognize. You know, Israel worshiped the gods of the Canaanites. They did the same thing. Of course, Beal's referring to that, that statue, to the unknown god, as he was in Athens, but Israel worshiped the Canaanite gods. It was not that they were trying to reject the Lord purposefully, not necessarily what they were trying to do, but they chose to worship these other gods in addition to try to kind of double dip in prosperity. They worshiped gods of fertility, for example, so that their children, their their flocks and herds, their crops would all flourish. God was being merciful to them in this time. And so they thought, well, man, i got to continue doing this. And when you hear Jeremiah's message to them about what they're doing and this syncretism, putting these things away, there are even periods of time where Israel obeyed. And they were tested in it. What they were actually doing is being judged for their sins eventually that came upon them. And they thought, okay, well, it's because we We quit worshiping the queen of heaven, for example. They didn't get it. Their ears had become dull. The eyes couldn't see. That was the judgment. Today, many of the idols that target us are idols for economic prosperity. It's no different for us today. Now, money is a form of potential idol, You know, forms of security that we try to get from it. Like, you know, having a 401k is wise planning. But thinking that that's your salvation, it's becoming an idol. Even a balanced budget can be an idol. If you find your security in that. These are wise things. But you have to be aware of who gives the blessings in our life. They all come from the Lord. You know, Israel, and, and people, for example, just taking money as an example, wealth. When that becomes an idol, you, they, the person begins to take on the appearance of what wealth is. It's, they become cold, calculating, and unpredictable, just as wealth is. You, you think someone's your, your friend, and... As soon as it impacts them financially, they're no longer your friend. And What? We've talked about this before, and Beal makes a note of it, what people fill their time with. How you're filling your, t- filling your time. That's sometimes a mark, an emblem of what is being worshipped. You know, what you're devoting yourself to. Obviously, time's going to be a key element here. Bill, he notes that we in the West are absorbed with television, computers, iPhones, and other forms of media. And I know you're thinking, oh, let's not talk about this right now. That's Because I don't have a problem with this, I promise. Never do I have a problem with this. Well, these are forms of relaxation. We need to relax. Um, But we can become uncritical. That's the issue sometimes. That's really the danger here. The, The media that it's always before us, seeking to transform the way we think about things. That's the danger. We can become critical to this and just accept it and start to think differently. You know, it's, it's a, it's a worldview that has no awareness or sensitivity to God's working in the details of our everyday lives. You're never going to hear from these popular sources, like on the news, for example, that attributes a good or any outcome to God's will. Someone wants to define worldliness as whatever any culture does to make sin seem normal and righteousness to seem strange. And that's what our culture tries to do. Start to feel uncomfortable. You can be, feel uncomfortable about being the one that stands out, distinct as a Christian. Those, those are dangerous grounds to be standing on. And we need to be aware of this. All right. What you revere, you resemble, either for ruin or, or restoration. Let's continue with this, focusing on verses 11 through 13 in our passage in Isaiah. Okay. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitants, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. You know, part of the ironic punishment is that not only will idolaters become spiritually destroyed within their own being, but as we just read here, their land will become devastated. It will become utterly desolate. And this is an outer reflection of, that, of the people's inner spiritual desolation. This was the enacting, the carrying out of the threats of that covenant that God imposed on them, in the Mosaic Covenant. They were warned that the land would spew them out. Israel's physical exile and separation from their promised land indicates their spiritual exile from God. Since, again, their land was where God's unique Special revelatory presence dwelt. It was in the temple. How would they know how to worship God without the temple? It represented God's presence. that They did not appreciate when they had it. This, again, is not only a picture of their spiritual condition, but it's a picture of their judgment for their spiritual condition. God made that nation completely spiritually insensitive as Isaiah was commanded to do so that they would be judged for their sin. The idea here is true with Israel as it is for us. What we revere we resemble either for restoration or for ruin. And Chapter 1 of Isaiah, in verses 29 through 31. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it real quick. It talks about this latter part of our, our, our passage. It says, For they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired, and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, and like a garden without water. And the strong shall become tender, and his work a spark, and both of them shall burn together with none to quench them. Israel, becoming like these trees, resembling that destiny of destruction, in an expression of an ironic principle, the major theme behind the book we're going through, the irony here. Those who make these idols become like them, so do all who trust in them. They looked at these trees and they worshiped them, thinking there was some mystical, spiritual aspect about the trees. It sounds kind of familiar these days, doesn't it? Nothing new under the sun. Isaiah, back to our passage in chapter six, the latter part of verse 13, It's asserting that the nation, that the Lord intended to be a holy seed, they had become so profane through idolatry that they were indistinguishable from those pagan nations around them. They looked just like them, and it's really a fitting uh, punishment in this irony, how they would. Inflamed themselves among the these idolatrous oaks that we read earlier in Isaiah. They're going to be set to flame like these trees that they worshipped. Beale says that this idea of resembling what you revere for ruin, for ruin, is a part of retributive irony. That principle we've been talking about—it's throughout Scripture, and that and it forms a biblical theology of idolatry, he asserts, but its opposite of resembling what you revere for restoration, not for ruin, but for restoration, is a part of the restorative irony, this irony of salvation. And that streams throughout the Bible, this redemptive plan of God's that despite our sin, the sinless Lord, sinless Christ, saving us. Well, I'm gonna try to wrap things up now. The principle, what you revere you resemble, either for restoration or for ruin. Uh, One thing that's interesting in our passage um, is that these verses nine through 10 are quoted in the New Testament in each of the Gospels, very priv- pivotal points in their accounts of Christ. And they are put there to say that the generation of the Israelites living at even Jesus' time, they were going to finally be judged because of that idolized tradition that they had. It was like what Malachi warned them, that when the, coming, the Messiah would come, he was going to refine them with fire. There's going to be a burning. So Isaiah prophesies in chapter 11 of Isaiah that there's a new root of Jesse. This is the other side of the coin. A root will spring up from this stump that we see in our text, and it will be Jesus. There will be a new Israel constituted on a new basis, on grace, a new covenant, not on the, that old theocratic basis. So how does this apply to us? We can look to Revelation, for example, for some warnings. Um, we had Gentile churches that were being addressed at the beginning of the letter there. Five of the seven churches are in danger, if you recall, of losing their identity in Christ because of idol worship. They've lost their first love, it talks about. Those confessing believers that are being addressed among these churches are not responding positively to the exhortation that they have to prove themselves in their faith. And they're becoming stubbornly deaf and blind, all on a spiritual level. And that is the address that we see in Revelation to these churches. They're not resembling Christ, but they're resembling the world in some way. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. He says that we are to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So any thought that we do not subject to the rule of Christ can become an idolatrous thought. just consider how all these invading worldly thoughts impacted one of the wisest men who ever lived solomon you know he married these pagan women whom the lord warned would turn him away from being a true worshiper of god but becoming an idolater his great wisdom did not influence them it didn't influence their wives their ungodliness influenced him instead. That's how it works. That's how it works. The bad rubbing off instead of the good. It's true as on whom it is that we associate with. Now, if you're a Christian, how do you relate to the various groups of friends that you have? Especially to you young people. Learning this, sometimes it's hard to learn it. It matters who your friends are. Those bad things, if you are entertaining close friendships with unbelievers, that is unwise. Who can you go to when you're going through something difficult? Can you go to that unbelieving friend? No. Bill asks a question. Do you find your true identity with God or with who it is you hang out with? Who do you associate with? Psalm 119 Verses 133 and 134 says, Keep steady my steps. This is this prayer here. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. Now this is nothing short than a desire for an uncompromised faith in Christ alone and nothing else. Again, Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Commit yourself to some part of creation more than the Creator is idolatry. That's the prevailing warning here. And this is something that he points out in his book that is profound. He says, To the extent that you commit yourself to something that does not have God's Spirit, to that degree you will be unspiritual. Again, your level of compromise in your faith will at least indicate your level of being unspiritual. Something we should, should fear. All right, so I'll wrap up here. What is it that truly motivates you? you know, why do you do the things you do? Examine yourself in these areas. Do you want glory for things? Are you really taking pleasure in what God takes pleasure in? which is his glory. And so the great irony that we see here in this chapter is that, again, we become like what we worship. A compromised faith where a believer is supplementing Christ in some way with pieces of the world for anything that claims loyalty, loyalty that belongs to God alone, your faith, that person's faith will suffer The effects of looking less like Christ and more like the very thing that truly hates Christ. These things are our enemies. They're not our friends.